So it's Tuesday night, 8 p.m., and you're on Nerd Initiative YouTube, and that means only one thing. It is time for the Nerd Initiative comic book club known as Turn a Page. This week, we have a great story that we want to talk to you about, and it's coming from our friends over at Dark Horse Comics. You might have heard of this uh, story. It's uh, called The Umbrella Academy, kind of a little popular. So I'm going to be talking about Volume 1, The Apocalyptic Suite, with Lauren from Hopskeeks News. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and as always... Get ready to pick up that book and turn a page. Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. I always love hearing that Tom Jolue song to kick us in. Welcome again to another edition of Turn a Page. Like we said, Nerd Initiative's Comic Book Club, talking about our favorite stories, talking about the latest going on in the comic book industry, and so much more. My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, but I'm also Nerd Initiative's Comics Editor-in-Chief. And joining me for this episode is a Nerd Initiative bullpen member who has been tearing it up lately. If you haven't checked her stuff out, you need to swing over to the Nerd Initiative website and definitely fix that immediately. It is one half of the dynamic duo bringing you the pop culture news you need to know with a beverage at hand. Please welcome to the show the one and only Lauren from Hops Geeks News. Lauren, what's going on? Lauren. Hey, how are you? I keep freezing a little bit, so I missed the intro. <laughs> oh, no worries. It, you know, it's one thing this show has been booming so much lately that the technical difficulties have been growing. So it's don't take any any mm. worries with that. I mean, we've had everything go from power outages to exploding power lines um, and, you know, sicknesses and such, though, knocking on wood and whatever I can get my hands on right now. So, yeah, seriously, don't feel bad about it at all. And like we said, we have got so much going on with the bullpen. You've been tearing it up on the reviews, and we have literally grown Nerd Initiative into your pregame party for New Comic Book Day. And just, I mean, why don't you tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself? Um, so, yeah, I'm Lauren. Like you said, I'm half of Hops Geek News. I know Matt's turned into a little bit of a regular on here. Uh, I fell in love with comics later in life. Jackman, I needed to know more. So I started reading Wolverine comics and it just kind of snowballed from there. And next thing I know, I'm doing comic book reviews. So it's, it's, it's been a ton of fun. I love getting shown these stories that I never would have expected to read and getting to review them. So I'm much fun. And I really love, I've been watching Umbrella Academy for years. So, so happy. I finally read volume one. Definitely going to read the next one. Yeah, when we came around time about what stories were going on, I know that Umbrella Academy has been one that we at the bullpen have had circled for so long now that I'm so happy we're actually going to be able to deep dive into it a little bit because when it came out, I don't think anybody really had any idea what to expect with this because we had known Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance and everybody didn't really have an idea about like, okay, what's he going to be doing with comics? Even though if you do know his history, he, I believe he was an intern at DC Comics, so he knows his stuff. But to see him come in and really take a, a unique twist on, you know, the fabled story of young teens with powers and how they grow up and what comes with it, 
I thought was just such a, a dynamic take for this. And we are going to be talking about spoilers. So if you haven't read Volume 1, The Apocalyptic Suite that came out in uh, 2007, well, we're giving this fair warning now. We deep dive into that. So, Lauren, when you talked about you got into the show, like, how did it come about? Did you hear about the comic first or the TV show, really? I heard about the TV show first. It was on Netflix. And when I hear a show is based on a multiple or based on a comic and multiple people from different walks of life recommend something, I'm like, I got to check it out. Um, so but I've watched them as they've come out. So they're not super fresh in my brain. But, you know, season one was a little bit slow. And then season two, I really fell in love with it. And I, I thought it's yeah. been great since. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing. Surprised. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. No, no, no. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say I was surprised when I read these characters how similar to the show they are. So I felt like I really already knew these characters. Yeah. That's the one thing about it, too. It's like they did such a good job making the adaptation into from comics to TV that I really thought they nailed the stride of the, the voice for the most part. Because sometimes when you try doing something as complex as Umbrella Academy is, Sometimes it doesn't hit the mark. But what I really thought they did, especially with this story, is they made it its own voice. And it's one that you can draw some comparisons to Doom Patrol from DC Comics. You can draw some comparisons to Uncanny X-Men from Marvel, obviously. But I really think that they found their own way with this and really set it up to a situation where it stands on its own and the directions it goes in, I mean, is just so insane. And especially when you see the the beginnings of the story that randomly 43 people are born with superpowers out of nowhere. I mean, what kind of concept is this that really kick off? Like when you're reading this, Lauren, like what's your reaction to this? Well, I mean, I think because I watched it first, I wasn't in as much shock, but it really is completely out there. And like you said, that kind of stuff either hits or it just falls flat. And it just hit in such makes this stand out from, you know, the, then the Spider-Man and all these other teenagers with powers is these were children who were completely abandoned and their, their adoptive father flat out says, I don't like you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's very unique that these kids have to stick together. And, you know, as siblings do, they fight as much as they love each other. And so you see a lot of that, that turmoil. And of course you also have the, you know, the dual, the, like Vanya isn't always Vanya, you know, she's got a little bit of that, you know, dark phoenix kind of thing um so that's I, it's just it's such a fun dynamic yeah especially too when you hear about the concept the 48 children have been born and then you have this mysterious figure that is going around and adopting them in sir reginald hargraves and basically trying to make them into a superhero team under the banner of the umbrella academy even though like i say it's it's more of a homage in my opinion to the gifted uh the school for gifted mutants let's be honest mm -hmm. and Xavier, yeah. yeah you you get that but obviously it goes in a very twisted reaction because right from the get-go you see their first story is they're fighting at the eiffel tower of all places and to see like the twist they did and this is really out the gate where you see the young members of the umbrella academy go I mean, Lauren, what's your reaction when you're seeing these kids going and they're fighting the Eiffel Tower? 
Um, well, I was surprised how little they were because we really don't see too much of that in the show. Uh, but I think straight from the, the gate when I saw the bore of the bus right after it was born when they're still doing the introduction and then it just, you know, you, you go to this scene. And I, I, I was very confused because it's more than just the Eiffel Tower. So I was kind of, kind of thrown off for a second. But, you know, Umbrella Academy is everything you think it is. It's not. Yeah. So I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with you because when I'm seeing this play out, I'm going, okay, they're going to the Eiffel Tower because it's mysteriously attacking people. And you just see these kids go in there and especially right. you start, you, you're like, wait, what is going on here? Because they're very young at the time. So you haven't even seen like how they are progressing with their powers. Like you see everybody from Luther, a.k.a. Space Boy, the Diego, a.k.a. the Kraken. But there's still numbers at this point too. Like right. they haven't picked their name. Yeah, and, and that's something that throws everybody off, too, at least for me a little bit, because when I'm seeing Allison, a.k.a. the rumor, go in there and she does her powers where I heard a rumor and really causes a riot in, in Paris, too, because she wants to get everybody away from the scene as they're going into attack. I mean, it, it's so clever. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. And you wouldn't think like, OK, wait, why? Like, how smart is that to do, especially at the young age? But as you're seeing, they're going in there. And when we find out that, well, it's a zombie that's working as a spaceship for the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I mean, the brilliance of what Gerard Way does here. I mean, when you're reading this, I mean, just the limits of the imagination. Are you just going like, what am I reading? Or it's like, oh, this is going to be something special. Again, it was one of those, if I hadn't watched the show, I would have been like, what in the hell? But it's just, you know, I knew that it was completely outside of the box. But yeah, with Rumor just, or Allison, was, like how clever to take the selfishness of humans and use that to save their life and get them out of the way. Because if she had said like, you know, we need to save you guys. You know, I heard a rumor. You need to flee to safety. That wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah. Oh, I, and obviously it adds a little sprinkle of humor too. Yeah. Because as you see and in the art that we have on the screen, and Gabriel Ba's art was just, you know, very quirky, but it fit this perfectly. Like I, when I'm reading this, I go, there's very few people I could see that could take a story like this and really make it pop like with the imagery that we see here, especially bringing out the coldness of Hargraves. And you're seeing Vanya, who at this point doesn't know she has powers and is literally just getting put down by her adopted father every chance she gets, like basically saying you're human, you can't do anything. And to see how, right. you know, it, yeah, and just to see how it's reflecting in her as she's moving forward, it's really a, a crazy scene to see play out because, like, once it's revealed that the Eiffel Tower has been a spaceship the entire time and you see them take off and the heroes <laughs> win the day, they get rewarded with nothing better than ice cream, which, I mean. That's what every kid wants. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's perfect. It just, it makes so much sense. So when they do the time jump later, and one thing, too, with this series is the original run is only six issues. So they don't really waste a lot of time doing, you know, I would say issues like it goes pretty straightforward because you do that big time jump. And now you see Luther has evolved into his true form, which is half man in an animal body, which we don't which we get a little bit on the show, but not to this full degree, because it almost looks like he's been experimented on. At least that's the way I took it when I first yeah. saw it. And then you start, yeah. and you see that he's on the moon, and then he gets the phone call that Reginald Hargraves has died from Pogo. So he winds up coming back to the academy. And as we start seeing, everybody has gone through something different involving their life post academy. But I don't think anybody had it as really, 
you know, tragic as Vanya, who does a tell-all book, but is getting recruited by some very mysterious people. I mean, how would you describe the antagonists of this initial run? Well, he looked like the Shadow Man or something. Um, it was just, there was no human element. It was just pure evil. Yeah. So we didn't really get to build up that villain. So I'm hoping that we get more into who that group is and what they're, you know, why they were doing what they were doing in, in the next volume. Yeah, because it's it's very mysterious because the voice is just talking to her the entire time and saying, like, you know, your family, we know that you don't get along with your family. They never truly respected you. But if you come with us, we can do this and we can really right. show you the way, which is just so bizarre. About it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go. No, I was just going to say, I don't, it, it's like, is it even real or is it in her head? It's like when you're, you know, reading it along those lines. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're exactly right. Because as it's coming across, you, you don't know if that's something in her head because of how the the lettering is done and just how like it just really stands out in that aspect. It's one thing that I just I sit there as a reader and I go like, OK, we don't really know what's going on. We know there's a death in the family and she's on the outs. But I mean, is it all in her head? Is it not? And that's just one of the beauties of the comics that. You you sit back and you have to start piecing this together because as you're seeing, the rest of the family is now coming to pay their final respects to really see if Reginald Hargraves is actually dead. So we do see Diego, who is now known as the Kraken. We do see mm-hmm. Klaus, who is known as the Seance. And we, I love Klaus. Okay, yeah, Klaus, I think, might be my favorite member of the Umbrella Academy because I think he's just so layered in his actions and everything he does. And, I mean, Chad, please throw your, your – I put that in there – who is your favorite member of the Academy? Like Klaus, I think just steals it. And especially when you see him on the TV show, like just how he just jumps off the screen and like Robert Sheehan who plays him just absolutely kills it on there. Nails it. Yeah. 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 He's definitely my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, he just, he does something with that role and you can just really run with it and see like just the different, you know, quirks that he does with that character. And we do see this here in the, in the, a book too because he does come in he, he kind of sneaks a couple one-liners in but for the most part it's originally grounded around luther and diego or space boy and the kraken at this time i mean as you're seeing the death play out and just how everybody's coming in like what is your initial reaction to seeing their reactions um i mean it's it seemed about right again i they all reacted how they kind of reacted in the show so they reacted as I expected. And, you know, yeah, Luther and Diego, they're the two alphas. So they're all, you know, they always kind of butt heads. But I uh, I always love the relationship between Luther and, and Rumor and Allison. Mm. And so I thought that that was my favorite to see them kind of bond over and catch up because they're obviously very close, even though he didn't even know she had a daughter. Um, so, I mean, I think with every family, everybody grieves different and then they judge each other for not grieving the same. And that's yeah, kind of what we got here and what we got in the show. But it was interesting seeing them yell at mom. Yes, because as we see, their mother is a robot, which, I mean, this this plays into Hargraves doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it really kind of throws in that he was manipulating these kids this, the entire time. Like, he, the fact that they're there, and you can see a lot of the resentment and anger in them, with the exception of Luther, who still, throughout this entire series, is still being a loyal son to him. And it's kind of crazy to see like that dynamic play out because you can obviously understand the tension between the Kraken and space boy, 
in this situation because Diego feels that way and feels like, no, mm-hmm. he, he was awful to us. Look at what he's done to each one of us. And you see Luther right. is still trying to honor his legacy and, and, and you know, we're reuniting the team and, and how that all kind of unfolds as things move forward. I mean, it's, it's a real interesting dynamic when it's all played out. But what they don't know is coming is the threat that's on hand from the orchestra of doom, I guess, is the easiest way you could describe them. <laughs> because as we as we go back to Vanya's story, she does, you know, try making some peace with the family. And especially when they're on a mission with Dr. Terminus, which I thought was kind of a little interesting. Love her name. Yeah. Little, little on the nose. Yeah, a little bit. And you, and you see, like, that she's shunned away when the, the family is there reunited as the Umbrella Academy that still, to this day, she's treated as the outsider because she never officially had powers in their eyes. And to see how right. you could see the slow, gradual build into where she becomes, you understand her dynamic, and you can't help but just sit there as a reader and just relate and just feel that empathy for her because it's just, you know, she's always wanted to be accepted. And even now with the biggest obstacle of her acceptance gone, the rest of the family still has lingering feelings toward her. I mean, I, how would you describe that family dynamic? Toxic. Yeah. I mean, if I had to use one word, but with Luther, he, he just never got the acceptance. He needed the acceptance. And, you know, it's like every kid deals with those toxic type of parents different. And yeah, Vanya was an outsider in a family of outsiders. Mm-hmm. So it was just, Yeah. Yeah, and especially, too, as she's progressing forward. And you see that with everybody coming together, she's even more shunned away that she winds up going to the symphony that has been recruiting violinists to play the Doomsday song that will end the world. And lo and behold, Vanya has been the one behind it at all. So when they finally win her over and how the conductor, if you will, plays into just letting her go the first time and saying, no, she'll be back because the family will shun her. And then when she comes back, he's the one that finds Hargrave's journal, which this kind of threw me off a bit that how would he get access to this out of nowhere? You know, yeah, that was another one that made me think that it was in her head. Yeah. Cause it, it honestly plays like that. You sit there and go like, how is it shaping up that she is doing this? And really, Nobody else knows about this journal except maybe Pogo and number five at the time, who, I mean, I think probably was the, you know, stayed the most to his character that we see on the TV show, um, just with his <laughs> dynamic, because, you know, he's just, you know, the man that's trapped in the uh, youthful body. And, and yeah. And I love how they explain that, too, because they're just saying, you know what, even though he's still 14 years old at this point. He's still a 60-year-old man with 60-year-old organs and, and you know, functioning like a 60-year-old man at this time. But he's still, from his time travels, and you see about what he knows about it's coming in the future, he's trying to go back and make that one last rally cry. And then when they fi- finally realize it's Vanya behind everything, that's what really kind of makes the point hit home, that you're going, as a reader, it's been set up all along that Hargraves knew how dangerous she was and in his own twisted way was trying to protect everybody. But at the same point, it was yeah. his own selfish reasons. I mean, I think that this one, another thing with Bayes or I mean, I'm sorry, with Gerard Way's writing too, he really shows that side, but he doesn't go full all in about it. So it kind of throws you off as a reader. Like, would you say so? 
Yeah, a little bit. And, and, you know, again, it gave me Xavier Dark Phoenix vibes. It's like, who are you really trying to protect? Uh, so, you know, what was, would it have been better to just be honest with her and, and not let her explode? And so what was the underlying reason? And, you know, we don't find out find yeah. that out as to why he was suppressing her powers. Yeah. And especially, too, when we, we see what happens when she's fully unleashed, she turns into the white violin. And she goes... Which I did not expect that. I did not I ex- saw the cover. I thought it was a metaphor. I didn't know it was going to be literal. Yeah, because when you see her evolve into what she is, she winds up taking out the conductor herself because she's driven mad with power. And then to see how that shapes up is really astonishing, too, because you see that she's now full all in. She's going to take the family out no matter what. And I think when we see mm-hmm. that, you would see that page unfold, you as a, as a reader are sitting there going like, oh, wow, like this team has no chance because they can't even function together as well. Because throughout this, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. something that they, they really played into is with Lauren and, or I'm sorry, with Luther and Klaus and they're fighting all the time. And Klaus is just sitting there, or Diego, I'm sorry, is just really sitting there driving that point home about like, no, like we're going to do this our own way. We're going to save the world. We're going to find our own way to do this. And Luther is trying to talk him out of it. And meanwhile, their constant fighting is throwing everything off that Vanya can sneak in there with now she has a little army to herself and really decides to go, we're going to go right to the front door with this. I mean, when you see that imp- impactful moment that she takes out the conductor and is like, we're going to play the song that ends the world because she's now driven mad by her powers. I mean, what's, what's your reaction as the reader seeing this? I thought it was a beautiful way to take everybody out. It was just, I mean, it was literal art. She was using everything. Like she used music to cope. She fell in love with music. That was her escape. And now she's using it to essentially incite revenge. I mean, obviously hmm. she's not all there. She's gone to a very dark place and, you know, an alter ego kind of thing. But I thought it was really pretty, beautifully done. Yeah, no, I have to agree too, because it's it's the tragic villain. Because all Vanya's ever wanted to do is be accepted by her family. And yeah. nobody would. So now she has people that want to accept her, but they won't. Or they, you know, they reluctantly do, but she winds up saying, no, like, I'm just going to take everybody out. So even though she gets her dream, her dream turns out to be nothing at all. And then as we see, she takes the fight right to the front door of the Umbrella Academy. And when you see her take that onslaught, I mean, are you sitting there cheering for her or you're just going like, oh, this is not going to end well for anybody? Um, You know, that's a hard one because... Part of me was cheering for her because you feel bad for her. But I also know that these other characters are not evil either. They're all the victims of their father. Mm -hmm. Or even though they're not allowed to even call him their father, they all like need to go to therapy. (laughs) So, you know, I feel bad for all of them. It's kind of one of those, you know, you, you want her to snap out of it. You want them to team up together. You want them to save the world. Yeah. And that's a special thing too, because yeah, even though, they are just tragic figures in their own right, the Umbrella Academy. There's also Vanya, who you can't help but empathize with. That, yeah, that she's been so shunned that when she becomes the ultimate villain here, that's like when everything just goes completely crazy. And you see her go right to the front door, blow it up, and take Pogo out, who had been the only... Oh, that was bad. I didn't like that. Yeah, that one was tough because, I mean, he had been such a just a loyal friend 
And, and like honestly, he was the real father to the to the Umbrella Academy. To see him taken out in, in such a graphic manner too was very very mm-hmm. telling. And especially it showed that there was no redeeming in Vanya at this point. Like she had been too far gone. Which I mean. It, it does play into the, you know, when you're a full-blown villain, that there is no coming back. And I know that they did a little different interpretation on the show with this, but with seeing it in the comic book form, it's like, how how do they take her back after this? And then there also has to be that moment where they realize, oh, we're the ones responsible for this. Yeah. You know? I mean, I just kind of assume, like, the story's not over because there's more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that we get the multiple parts after this, too, it it really adds into a little more dynamic about what's going on. But to see how everything plays in to the ultimate final battle that they wind up having because the family has to come together and try stopping her. And you think that with Mm -hmm. Allison and Luthor, who they I liked how they touched upon the romance angle, so to speak, here a little bit with rumor. But they didn't go, you know, make it like a big focal point of the story because they really just wanted. Right, to they didn't it. go full Brady Bunch. Yeah, no, they they definitely didn't go that route. Great analogy. No, they they definitely kept it very, you know, her and Luther had a couple panels where they kind of talked about it. But ultimately, and this is something they did very different from the show, at least in my opinion, is Luther is so dedicated to Hargraves, like like it's just it's crazy to see watch all play out that he just will be willing to sacrifice everything he has and just to honor a man that really thought of him as maybe his number one, as we know with the numbers, but still at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, it's like how, you know, to see him kind of brush off Allison to the point she has to use her powers. I thought that was an interesting dynamic to see play out that just, you know, he, we always know with the the X-Men comparison too. And there's, there's a lot to compare with the X-Men here as well you see how Cyclops is so dedicated to Xavier with whatever he does. We now see this with Luther, but I think it's just like even to just a, like a more, you know, blind leading, in, at least in my opinion about that. Right, just a good soldier following orders. Yeah, because like no matter what, that's that's all he's been fo- focused on doing, which is it's crazy to, like I say, to see him play out, especially when as you start diving into the history of Hargraves, and he is just awful. Like there's there's nothing redeeming about the man. He's no, just not such, a single thing. Yeah. Like he's just, he's literally the worst. And I think that's mm-hmm. the, the honest way to put it. It's just, and for whatever reason he has his, his motives, like I say, it's just his, his blind idea of like, this is what the world should be. This is how things should, you know, we should have these superpowers. They should be a team, but they can't have emotions. They can't have their own lives. And it really kind of shows that like we grow up watching superhero books, anything from teen Titans to the original X-Men and all in between that you see these young heroes and they can't even have their own lives. Like they're literally being told like you have to be heroes. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was something very interesting to see all play out. Yeah. And I think the biggest shocker I had with reading this versus the show was learning who Hargraves actually is because, and I'm going to do a spoiler for the show. Um, I'm assuming we're just spoiling, you know, the comments at this point was that he's not human. And that was a big reveal in season two. And I have, I was shocked when they revealed at the very beginning of this, they were just very, just like, Oh yeah, he's not human. I was like, well, maybe that's just what his species is like. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great question. And we never really find that out. No, especially, we well, not in the, either. not in the, no, not, yeah. 
that they've been very, very quiet about that too. And I, th- I always think that's kind of interesting how Wade did not just come out and, and show this. Like, I think he really hit the points. And one thing that you'll see like throughout this entire series is he doesn't spend a lot of time about building things. It's very, very like, straightforward. Like, this happens, this happens, this mm-hmm. happens, this happens. That you don't really have those moments of where we typically would call filler is very, very straightforward to the point where it's like you'd almost want a filler issue just to catch up yeah. on things you might have missed. Yeah. And I think that, it's, you know, seeing how that plays out, too, especially because when we get to the end, the final battle, which, I mean, that goes all types of crazy. And you see that Vanya, who is a, who's been taking her frustration on at everybody, winds up slitting Allison's throat with her vocal. I mean, they did. There's one thing about this show, or the book rather, they didn't shy away from the violence aspect. Like, it is very in your face, it is very unapologetic. And I think that it really sets a, you know, a high mark that, like, yeah, this is not your average, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that is a distinct vision. And it kind of, like, and I know it plays into a lot of Doom Patrol, which I know Gerard Way had a run with later on, but it kind of plays into that factor that. Not everything in the superhero world is, you know, sunshine and rainbows, so to speak. Like, there is a lot of, you know, grim reality to this. And especially dealing with the pent-up emotional damage that had been done to Vanya. And to see that she lashes out at Allison because Allison and her never were really close. And that's and to see that reaction, like, that just made the biggest statement in the world to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, especially because, you know, they were the only girls. She had this one sister, and, you know, she truly had nobody there for her. Um, so, yeah, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. But I, I like the comparison with Doom Patrol, and I think that's what we love about so many of these comics these days is superheroes do have everyday problems, even if they're, you know, being raised by an alien or, or yeah. a human. You know, you, you still have everyday problems that you can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think nowadays, too, you're seeing more of that come out. And I love seeing that as a reader because it's more relatable to going into a shop and seeing these heroes. And then if you're seeing seeing it, it's more, you know, I don't want to say grounded in reality, but when you kind of have those connections and you can you can kind of see how this is like everyday life. It, it really shows about how much comics have evolved. And I think seeing about like how this is a very twisted take on the, the teen superhero drama, I think really plays out because as you see, as they're now older, they're still dealing with those traumas and still trying to find a way to move forward through them. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a brilliant story to tell because, yeah, they're not perfect, but they're still trying to do the right thing. And especially trying to stop Vanya and how personal that mission is, even though, well, I mean, would you say they were successful in this? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, again, I look forward to reading more because when I, w- I was surprised when I read this and it read like it was just six issues. I didn't know that was like, mm. I don't know, the original intention to see how well this does because, yeah, everything wasn't told. Like, I didn't feel like there was closure at all. No, because Vanya winds up succeeding, albeit though we get a little bit of a, a a little time travel mishap, so to speak, because as the team is defeated, and I love how actually they took the loss in this, because I think we we are so accustomed to the good guys always winning that to see that 
and I mean, this is a very loose comparison, like the Watchmen style where the good guys don't always win. To see that happen here and you're seeing that, you know, they're plucked out of time because of, you know, fives. Dabbling in the time stream does cause a lot of paradox, but, you know, it's comics. It works. I have no issues with that. You know, and that's something that they did play into that he saw the world and he tried going back to save it. Didn't work. And even his methods, which... Like I say, he had his own problems, too, that there was a little side piece um, in, I believe, issue four, where he was at a diner and uh, somebody tried uh, capturing him. And, well, it didn't go well. And there's a beautiful splash page. I I couldn't get the art up here for it um, from Bob that just really set the tone for his character. And as as you've seen the show moving forward, yeah, it plays right into his character perfectly. To see that his, you know, time travel, you know, playing around, I guess we should say, or, you know, I don't want to say dabbling in there, I guess would probably be a better word to see that that's how they wind up saving everybody and then goes into the next direction. I mean, I think it ended on such a a very unique note that as a reader, I wasn't disappointed in it. Like, I don't know how you felt about going to the last page about this. No, I was okay with it because I felt like it was one of those endings too, where you're okay if it ends like that, but you know that they can open it back up. And I'm assuming that was the intention. Yeah, I fully think so, too. I think that, you know, in this day and age of comics, like, yeah, if you got a story to tell, it it doesn't need to have like a super long arc. And I think that especially with how Way writes, he really told a story. And like I say, the pacing is very, very fast in this. And I think that he really got out what he wanted to say with it and with the characters, but left the readers hanging for more just enough that, yeah, it generated a buzz. Because obviously when you have somebody that comes over from the music world as we all knew him at, you know, at the time mm-hmm. to come into this world of comics, you're going to bring a different fan base in there. And people are going to look for something different. And they fully got it with this series. And right. then I think that just led to, to more buzz. I mean, this wasn't an Eisner Award winner, too, uh, I believe, for Best uh, Finite Series, I believe is the official terminology for it. Hmm. Uh, amongst many other awards. And it really set the tone. Like, they did some really cool things with the story that it did generate two other volumes, Dallas and Hotel Oblivion. Uh, Oblivion came out many years after. So oh. whether they're going to do another volume. Yeah, there is a there is a very gap, I want to say, so is between that... two... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask if Hotel Oblivion was in line with the most recent season because they're in that hotel. Yes, uh, there is there is a familiarity to it, but as far as when it came out in comics, I believe 2008 was Dallas, and then 2017, I believe, was Hotel Oblivion. Is Dallas, do they go back in time? Yes. Nice. It's I'm much like it's much like, these. Yeah. The one thing I will say about this is, you know, for the pluses, I love the art style because it's quirky, but I love how they just took chances with it, and especially as you'll see as it moves forward. I think that for what they did for the first volume, like in comparison to the seasons, I really thought that the comic did well for season one. Like mm-hmm. I like that the comic a little more than I did season one. It's the opposite for season two and Dallas. That Dallas, I thought they took a lot of different chances with it. And I think that it, the TV show came out a little better, in my opinion, with it. And then where we're going with season threes and season fours. I still think there's a lot of story to be told, but I think with what they hit the ground running with here and really cemented that, I think it it gave the audience as comic readers, like something really special to get because 
when you see the cover, I mean, you are just thinking this might be just your average comic story. And then lo and behold, it's anything but. I mean, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Um, And, you know, the art is always different in all these things. And that always makes such a big deal. But, you know, like we were saying before, it's dark, but it's not too dark. It's like the scene where, you know, five basically murders people. It's not red blood, you know, it's it's still very artistically done. And I do love that him being a musician, he made the prime villain kill people with music. Like there's that's got to be like an intentional connection there where, he, you know, he feels music so hard that he experiences it to a depth to where it could literally end the world. <laughs> so I really yeah, love that. Exactly. And there was cute little things, too, that he did. Uh, well, cute might be a terrible way to to describe this. <laughs> But when he had um, the amusement park and he had statistics on the bottom, I did not fact check to see if it was correct, but it had the statistics of injuries and deaths for people on amusement park rides. And I was like, what an interesting tidbit to add into the comic. And it was relevant to the story, but it wasn't anything I had expected to see. So I like that where he added these little things and made it his own. Yeah, no, I agree too. I think that was just such a little thing because the amusement park story is very brief. But yeah, I think there's just these little quirky, you know, Easter eggs that they put in that I really think just add so much to the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you read something, and especially, you know, right from the beginning, it's going in a lot of different directions. And then when, as we move forward, it still goes even more, you know, into like, I don't want to say the absurd because they just really, you can tell the creative team here is just having fun with, you know, the story, but they keep it very well rounded about the family tragedy too. And that is a very difficult thing to do because as a, you know, with any book that you try selling, it is something that you're either going to really hit with the audience or, or, you know, maybe it's not going to be a home run if you will. And I think when they're doing stuff like that, especially the amusement park, I thought they really did. It's a, a little fun moment, but it definitely <laughs> hits the mark. Right. Unless you look at the death statistics. I was like, holy cow. I, that's what I was like. I do want to know if this yeah. is true. Um, yeah. Well, it, yeah, they don't shy away from that. No. But, you know, you know, like you said, it was it was fast-paced, but not too fast-paced. You weren't bored a second. There wasn't any filler. Like, you genuinely – I genuinely enjoyed it from beginning to end. And I read the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah. Oh, me too. Like, when I, re, when I redid it, it's like I forgot how much I really enjoyed this. And especially for what it – you know, at the time period, you got to remember too. It's – My Chemical Romance is super big. And the fact that we got a comic that came out and the lead singer in it, and, you know, it, it definitely brought a lot more eyes to the comic shops, too. And to see how it just made such a debut, like, I wanted to see more. Like, I was like, what? It's over in six issues? Like, wait, what? Yeah, that's too short. And then, yeah, and then we immediately come out with Dallas after. And then, like I say, it, it's it's not a bad story in my opinion, but it just it didn't connect with me as much as Apocalyptic Suite. I thought that, you know, for what they wanted to do that first go around, I thought they really set the bar. It's almost like if it was too high, like you can't recapture the magic. But they did a lot of different things in the sequel that I think some people really enjoyed. And some people were just like, nah, this really isn't where I thought this was going. But as we saw, it generated enough buzz that you got a great TV show out of this too. Which anytime that you can do that, and especially, you know, we live in this day and age where we're spoiled as fans that we have the MCU, the DC films, and we have all these great comics that are now coming to the big and small screen. Right, like The Boys, Invincible, yeah. Yeah, and especially now, and I'm glad you brought those examples up, we're seeing a lot more independent books come out. 
mm-hmm. and make that transition. And that's finding a whole new audience that's bringing them to the comic shops. And it's also a, a win for everybody because not only do you have more people checking out comics, but you're also having just a whole new audience realize about like the potential about doing a, a TV show like The Boys mm-hmm. or doing an animated show like Invincible or, you know, taking a shot with a character like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like a really great independent book right now, but there's so many out right in, on the big screen that if you can do that, it's based off successes like this. Mm-hmm. And to really kind of drive, you know, the mark home about it, it's like this is why books like this have really stood the test of time and really stood out because if you can make that crossover appeal happen, that's an even bigger win than I think fans realize because we're also mm-hmm. used to going to a shop on Wednesdays and picking up our favorite issues that to see it now on the small screen and possibly on the big screen. I mean, it's just a massive win. Yeah, it's fun. And honestly, the first um, series I actually bought at the comic shop and not at Barnes and Noble or on Amazon was the walking dead. And it was because I fell in love with the show. So yeah, it definitely is bringing in other people and, and what a fun way to do that too. And I love that you can nail the comic and nail the show and have them still be a little bit different and get different things from both of them. So it's like, you're not like, Oh, I don't need to read that. I I watched it. Or I don't need to watch that. I read it. Like, no, do both. They can complement each other. Absolutely. And that, and that's the biggest win too, is like when you can have a story that generates that boldly across pop culture, like that's when you really know you have something special going. And like I say, the fact that we've seen shows like this take over and become the biggest things in pop culture and to see where it originated from is just the comic shops on Wednesdays where we all go hang out and, and pick up the great stories. Like that's just such a big win with this. Yeah. I mean, you got Robert Kirkman's got a, you know, walking dead house at horror nights for years. So yeah, it's definitely taken over pop culture. Oh, absolutely. Is there anything else that really stood out to you that you're like this for this story for the umbrella Academy that you're like, yeah, this was awesome. And I really want to talk about this. No, I think I touched on all the things. Really, the most shocking for me was the alien part being revealed so early. Because uh, I thought, I was, I don't know how I didn't hear about that before they revealed it in the show. Like, I, I guess a lot of people just didn't read the comic, maybe, or people were just being nice and not ruining it. Uh, but no, I really like that. And honestly, just the, the Vanya scenes with the music and her turning into the violin, I feel like is what stood out for me the most. Luther was a little odd to look at. Because obviously part of his character in the show is he's self-conscious about how he looks, so he covers up. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that made him seem a little bit different compared to his his TV one just because he, you know, he's got those cords coming out of his crotch, like, and he had no issue with that. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that took me a little by surprise. But I'm hoping I see more Klaus in volume two. Klaus was not used much as used enough, and I love him. And we didn't really get backstory on Ben. Yeah. Yeah, that was so one I was thing. I, yeah, no, I agree with you. That was one thing I was going to say, like, for stuff I didn't like about this run is, yeah, we didn't have a lot of Klaus and Ben. It was a lot focused on Luther and uh, Diego. Diego. Yeah, which, I mean, I understand, so I'm not mad about it, but I would like where maybe there was two more issues to it that they could have done a deep dive on Klaus or Ben, mm-hmm. like even a little more so than we got because we just got panels here and there but not enough to get like that wow factor in, in my opinion in comparison to 
you know, where we see on the TV shows. But I mean, that's also the difference between TV budgets and comics, too. It's like, yeah, where, you know, like I say, when you see Luther on the small screen, and then you see him in the comic, it's like, yeah, you can see budget wise, that might be a little tougher to, to pull off. But, right. And just I feel like it wouldn't work in the real world, too, with him walking around. And uh, yeah, just yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, it'd be a little more messy than I think people realize with that. But, but the, the there... minor times. Oh, go ahead. No, go right ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the little bit we did see Klaus. I loved him in every scene he was in. Yeah, same. He's just that charismatic of a character that you just you can't look away from him when he's on a panel or even on the screen. Like there, there's just something, you know, when you have these characters that stand out too. And that, that was another strong point of the book too. Everybody had their own distinct personality. Like it didn't feel like everybody was the same. And mm-hmm. even like their interpretations of Hargraves too. I thought that that really made for such a unique dynamic too, because you see the different ranges from Luther to Diego to Vanya, and everybody just had a differing view of who he was in their eyes. And especially knowing the history with him, I thought, yeah, that is kind of an interesting take that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. So is there anything else that you did not really like about the book or thought like, you know, this was cool, but I would like to see this done better, you know, other than Klaus and Ben not being in? Um, not so much. I mean, really just wanting more, you know, more backstory, more character building. But, you know, they they only had so much time to do and they filled up every page as best they could. So and I'm hoping to get that fixed with volume two. Yeah, I definitely recommend reading volume two, especially if you liked volume one. Volume two, like I say, for me, it's a little different. Um, but I still, I still enjoyed the story. It was just, like I say, I was expecting it to go in a different route and it, and it did not go the way I thought, but it's not to say like, it's a bad story by any means. I want to stress that. Right. So that being said, why don't you give the turn the page audience your grade on Umbrella Academy volume one? Ooh. Um, are we doing like what we want to do grades? Cause then Matt and I do the cigars as a nod to yes. Wolvie. Yeah, I, I allow right. I, I allowed the grades to go to whoever, you know, however you want to break it down as far as, uh, you know, how you, how you do. Um, I would say a 4.25 out of 5 cigars. Okay. So I I really, yeah, yeah, I'd say that. No, that that's a very fair grade. Uh, I do mine out of 10, and I give this one um, a 7.75. I think for what it was, like, I think that it definitely made its mark, and it definitely stood out. And for what we got, I thought they really hit the ground running. They really had a lot to say. I would have liked to see it just be maybe two more issues just because, and it's, it's bad to make the comparison, but I, I have to with the TV show, and this is just my opinion of it, where we didn't get the real, like, more of Klaus and Ben and everybody else. It just kind of seemed like it was centered around the three major, major characters with Luther, Diego, and Vanya that I would have liked to see more to get a full grasp of the Academy. And obviously with doing more stories, you're going to get that. So I understand that that's just my little, you know, you know, being, you know, super picky about it. But I thought for what we had, Gerard way really made a big story here. And he tied in so many different themes of, you know, the family trauma to super heroics and really showcasing that superheroes don't always have to win but they can Mm -hmm. still try doing the right thing, even though the odds are super stacked against them. So I always kind of say like with that, I liked how they set the groundwork for things and especially with how it ended. 
I was very excited to go pick up Dallas when it came out. So I recommend that to everybody as well, too. And then obviously we can talk about it on the social medias as well. And then who knows, maybe we'll have to do another show about Dallas as, you know, the weeks go on. Sounds good. So before we get out of here, tomorrow is new comic book day. Do you have any recommendations for the shops? Oh, I have no idea what actually is coming out tomorrow because I just go to the shops and they just hand me stuff. So I never know when they (laughs) come out. Um, For me, I always have whatever is newest with Wolverine. Uh, I also enjoy the Sabretooth run that's out right now. Um, Oh, and I did one of the books I did order, which I know Matt's already read that I highly recommend is by Joshua Trujillo. Uh, He wrote Washington's Gay General. So I should have that in my box when I go pick it up tomorrow. Yeah, I've I've heard nothing but great things about that. I I definitely want to go pick that up. But yeah, I got a stack because I've been reading in the Thrawn books, so my comic book stack's pretty high. I got Darth Vader in there too, so I need to catch up on the comic books. But go the Thrawn books, highly recommend those too. Oh, nice. Yeah, I the Star Wars stuff that's been coming out lately between Marvel and Dark Horse has been great. So, I mean, yeah. you can't you you can never go wrong. As you can see, I'm rocking the Boba Fett tonight for the oh, show. Yeah. Love Boba Fett. Yeah, uh, for me. <laughs> uh, I got I got to bring up one book. It came out last week, and if you can still get a copy of this, I highly recommend checking this out. It's a brand new imprint that has uh, debuted called Distillery, and the Devil's Cut is the first issue out from this uh, imprint. And if you are a fan of different styles of writing, different genres. And by the top-tier creators like Scott Snyder, Rom V, Stephanie Phillips, and, and many, many more. This is your book to go check out. If you have not picked this up, I highly recommend try tracking a copy down. They are doing some really cool things over at Distillery. And The Devil's Cut, I got a chance to review it um, for Nerd Initiative. And let me tell you what, it lives up to the hype that you hear about, especially with the all-star creators they have. It's 11 short stories. They're all different. They are just amazing. And this is the kickoff book to the line. I know in, um, I believe in October, Gone is coming out by Jock. And there's a few more books that are getting announced as well, too. So this is going to be a book to go check out. If you haven't picked it up, like I say, I give it the highest possible recommendation. This is something I, I feel is like more geared towards if you're a fan of the Vertigo line or Black Label from DC Comics, just in the more mature readers. You're not going to see a lot of superhero stuff with it, but they do some amazing work. And the lineup they have at Distillery is absolutely amazing. I can't scream this from the high heavens enough. So definitely make sure if you got a chance to get to the comic shops, go get The Devil's Cut where you can. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. So, Lauren, before we get out of here, why don't you let everybody know how they find you and everything going on with Hops Geeks News? Um, yeah, you just search Hops Geek News anywhere, Twitter, TikTok, podcasting platforms, Instagram, or you can scan this fancy QR code right here as well. Uh, Matt has been in the process of moving cross-country. However, we did stockpile episodes, so we just recently came out with an interview with Christian Ward, who's doing Batman yes. City of Madness, so that's our most recent one. But he is almost settled, and we will bring back our normal show routine where we start with what beer we're drinking, we talk about current news, uh, pop culture geek-themed news, what we've been reading or watching and then we dive into a main topic so we're looking forward to getting back into our routine i believe next week we are going to be doing a scooby-doo slash supernatural episode because september 13th 
is the anniversary of Scooby-Doo and Supernatural. So we're going to be doing some fun facts on the two of those. I know we we don't talk uh, we haven't got a chance to talk supernatural off air, but yeah, that is one of my favorite shows, and I that episode is amazing. Took me years to get him to watch. He's on season seven now, so he's gonna have to watch Scooby Natural Bite because it's a good standalone episode. So I'm gonna make yes. him watch that before. <laughs> yeah, that w- that won't ruin anything for him. Just have him watch out for the Leviathans. That's the only thing I'm gonna say about that. That well, that's what season he's on. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll have to talk. He's to doing him good. He's doing that. good. Yeah, definitely want, to get, <laughs> definitely want to plug out. Uh, Tom couldn't make it here tonight. You obviously know him as your pop culture connoisseur. So Tom should be back here next week. So you definitely want to make sure you go click on him and see what he's up to because I know he's always posting stuff when he's got time. Very, very busy man, but we definitely are going to be seeing him sooner than later. And if you want to find out what's going on with me and the rest of the ODPH team, simple, head on over to odphpodcast.com and you can click on the QR link and go find out everything going on with us. Let us know what you're picking up at the comic shops this week because there's so much coming out too. Like I say, we could sit here and just talk about it for hours and hours because there's so much amazing books out right now that if you are looking for something from the big two, there's something there. If you're looking for a great indie, there's so much to choose from right now. Like I say, Distillery is just one of them right now. IDW is doing great things. Boom Studios, Image Comics, like the list goes on and on. Like we could sit here and keep raving about it. But the biggest thing is hit that QR code right above my head. That's find your local comic shop. So you definitely want to make sure you get down there every single Wednesday. Go pick up some great issues. And if you're looking for recommendations, well, we have got (laughs) you covered here. Click on that QR code and you can find out the new Comic Book Day reviews each and every week to start your day off. Like I say, is your home the official pregame for new Comic Book Day? I'm just going to put it out there right now. Lauren's got some great reviews up right now. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Lauren's got some great reviews up right now, so you definitely want to go check out I, you know, Hunger in the Dusk. How great is that Oh, series? my gosh. That comic, only two issues in. I absolutely love that. Yes, definitely check that one out. Yeah, IDW is doing big things over there. Got a couple of reviews up right now from DC Comics this week. Uh, Birds of Prey came out. Kelly Thompson writing. All I needed to know, but I tell you what, that issue is amazing as well. And there's so much dropping tomorrow that you want to tune in to nerdinitiative.com. 9 a.m. It starts and it doesn't stop till we're done talking reviews. So you definitely want to make sure you check that out. And if you want to find out more going on with Nerd Initiative, because there was a big announcement, especially if you're going to New York Comic Con, you definitely Mm. want to hit that QR code. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter and you'll be able to find out the big news in case you missed fandoms and everything going on there. Because like I say, there's a big announcement and there's only more things to come from that. So for Lauren, I'm your host, Ken M. And as always, remember, when you're at the comic shop and you have a great story in your hands and you see somebody struggling to pick something up, hand your issue off to them. Tell them to turn the page. We'll see you next time.